Thank you for listening to this sermon from Arapahoe Road Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the teaching of Dr. David Rogers, lead pastor of Arapahoe Road. For more information about our church and its ministries, please visit arapahoeroad.org. And now, here's Pastor David Rogers. I believe in the Big Bang. God said bang and everything was created. Let me show you what I mean. This is us here on the earth. And we live in this amazing place called the habitable zone. It's one of the unique places in the whole galaxy, the whole universe where life can exist. Crazy that we live right here. Closer to the sun, we'd all be toast. There's a highly qualified piece of black toast, but we'd also be popsicles over here. It's not just where it is in the galaxy, it's also how it's tilted. The Earth is at a perfect 23 and a half degree angle. This is where we get our seasons. It's tilted just perfectly so the rays of the sun and all the harmful radiation actually bounces off. It even goes deeper than that though. Plants and trees, they give off something called oxygen and that's what humans need in order to live. We have this perfect little balance of life between us and the rest of the planet. Clearly, there's a designer here. And it's more than just design, the beauty of it, mountains and sunsets and flowers, it just screams that there is a creator and there is a God. Here's the thing, I could give you reason after reason that probably God exists. And you're not some big cosmic accident. But I think it's so much more than that. I think it's more than just believing that God exists. I've done that for a long time. Really the question is, do you trust him? Faith isn't just having blind hope, but faith is putting our trust in God, even in the uncertain or difficult times. Really faith is trusting God through each step of our life. What we're really trying to say is the faith that we have in God I mean, he ordered this amazing universe. He keeps us alive and holds it all together so perfectly and in such amazing order. And God, I trust you to have that type of order and control and care in my life. There's a verse in the book of Hebrews that talks about how faith is essential. And God rewards those who will use their faith to trust in him. I realize that sounds simple, right? And saying it to you is simple and living it out is much more difficult. Like I have faith in one moment and then I have doubts. I have trust in the next moment and then there's tragedy. I've been in youth ministry a long time and I've heard that bad news or that sad story over and over again and it breaks my heart. And to be honest, it tests my faith too. I sometimes have doubts, but I wanna let you know that as we trust God, he will reward us for our faith in him. I don't know what you're going to face this week. Who knows what that next step is going to entail. But I do know this, I sure hope you have faith. I love that little video uh, that encourages us to have faith even when we face doubts, even when we have, have difficulties that, uh, that, that meet us in our life, when we're in situations and we're going through things that certainly are less than ideal. And, and when we're facing those challenges, it's so good to remember what the writer of Hebrews says. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, look at this great 
verse of truth here. It should come up on the screen, yeah. It says, and without what? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Who's him? God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we all need faith, yes? Yes, we all need faith. And I really believe that, that everybody in this room, everybody connecting with us online this morning, I believe that we all want to please God with our lives, yes? I, I think so. Especially when things are uncertain. Or, or maybe we find ourselves in a place that's just less desirable than at other times in our lives. We, we want God to be pleased with our lives. And we want to please God with faithful living, even when things aren't perfect. Even when things may seem impossible in our lives. When I hear this word, impossible, would you say it with me? Impossible. When I hear that word, impossible, it, it always reminds me of something that my good friend Eddie James says. Here's what Eddie says. He says, you do the possible and let God take care of the impossible. Man, that's worth taking your phone out and snapping a picture of and just making that your screensaver this week right there. You do the possible and let God take care of the impossible. We'll talk about that this morning as we wrap up this series that we've been in, this sermon series called Ancient prayers for a new year. We're going to look at one last character from our study throughout the Old Testament. And this guy had all kinds of faith in God, even when it seemed like what, what he was going through was an impossible situation. We're going to look at a scene and we're going to look at a prayer from the life of a man named Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet. He wasn't a bullfrog, he was a prophet, okay? Jeremiah the prophet. If you have your Bible, would you take it, would you open it to Jeremiah chapter 32? It's kind of be in the middle of your Bible. While you're finding Jeremiah 32, I'll remind you as I have throughout this series, Series, uh, that uh, it's based from the writings and the works of a brilliant Old Testament scholar and professor that, that I really, really respect. His name is Dr. Walter Brueggemann. Uh, this, this whole series has been based around his book called Great Prayers of the Old Testament. I base the insights that I've been pulling and sharing with you straight from his work. Many of the words I've been using are his words, and so I want to give credit where credit is due, and just keep reminding you that, man, Dr. Brueggemann has really uh, been influential in my life. It's been, it's been transferred right into my prayer life over the last several weeks that we've been together, and hopefully you've been able to get a few handles along the way that have helped propel you forward in your own prayer life. So hopefully you found Jeremiah chapter 32 by now. And, and, and what, what God asks Jeremiah to do in this passage we look at today, and, and then what God says he's going to do in response, it really seems to be impossible due to all of the circumstances that are unfolding at this part in Jeremiah's life. But perhaps Jeremiah knew that phrase that we looked at from Eddie a minute ago. And, and perhaps Jeremiah, that was his motto. Hey, if I just will do the possible, 
I'll leave the impossible to God. Man, that, that's just, that's the sermon in a series, uh, in a sentence today. If, if you will just focus on the possible and let God focus on the impossible, we're going to get there. And he's going to get us there. So what was the impossible situation that Jeremiah was facing? Well, th- this impossible situation was there was a massive invasion going on in his country. Our friends in the Ukraine right now could certainly connect with this message because they're feeling that. And, and hopefully you've been praying for our friends overseas all throughout Eastern Europe that are just having their lives turned upside down. So the impossible situation for Jeremiah was much the same. The Babylonian army was ransacking the land where Jeremiah, this prophet, was living. And among the people of God, their lives were getting turned upside down. And as Jeremiah had been telling the people of God, the the Babylonian army, they just kept coming aggressively throughout the land of Israel. And particularly at this point through the, the capital area, the, the city of Jerusalem and in the state known as Judah. So this assault on the city and, and, and the land by the Babylonian army, it had been going on for quite some time. And, and, and the more recent assault that we'll look at here in, in Jerusalem is recorded in these first verses of Jeremiah 32. Look what it says. Let's just look at the first five verses for a moment. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. So this is a historical point. It's not a fairy tale story. You can trace it to this point in time. Verse 2. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. And Jeremiah the prophet, where was he? He was shut up in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah. So he's in jail. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him. He'd imprisoned the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I'm giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, a.k.a. the Babylonians, same people, but shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye, and he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall remain until I visit him, declares the Lord. Though you fight against the Chaldeans, You shall not succeed. Let's pause there for a minute. We'll come back to the rest of this chapter in a moment. So as Dr. Brueggemann notes, this right here was the decisive finish of the state of Judah and the urban establishment in that day. In short order, the city of Jerusalem was totally destroyed The temple in Jerusalem was razed to the ground. The monarch was terminated. And the last king, Zedekiah, was carried away into what's known as exile. 
Now, if you want to see how this story ends, it's recorded over in 2 Kings chapter 25. We're not going to turn there this morning, but in 2 Kings 25, if you were to read that story, it does not end well. It's a bad story with a bad ending. And what we see from the prophets of God, what we see and what we hear is that God was allowing this particular destruction. Is that what's happening overseas? I I don't know. I'm not God. But I do know here in this story, what's happening is that God was actually allowing the destruction and the occupation by the Babylonian armies under the leadership of their king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And he was actually being used as a tool in the hand of God to bring judgment on the people of God for the ways that they had been sinning, they had been turning their backs on God, their lives away from what God had called them to in their life. In other words, what was happening to the people of God was an act of judgment by God. And God chose to use this foreign army for his own purposes. And in the midst of this, God used Jeremiah to continue warning his people all along. But like so many of the prophets, the people wouldn't listen to what the prophets were saying. They didn't like what Jeremiah was saying on God's behalf. So as things continue to progress and move toward this destructive and disastrous ending for Jerusalem and the Jerusalem establishment, this prophetic faith had to have a new outlet. And there's all this grief in the land. There's the, the, the people of God are dealing with this grief and this mourning because everything that they had known around Jerusalem and around their lives was being turned upside down. So let's pause for a moment from biblical days and let's come back to today. Not much has changed, right? Yeah. Life's been turned upside down, particularly for our friends in Eastern Europe, but not only over there, but maybe just east of the church or west or north or south where you live in your neighborhood, in your finances, with your health, in your family, with your relationships, with your job. See, maybe you can relate to the people living around Jerusalem in Jeremiah's day. You're going, yeah, my my life's not perfect today either. Maybe what you've known has been turned upside down. The way it was no longer is the way it is. And if you're not careful, you can slip into what's known as good old days syndrome. You know what good old days syndrome is? It's where you just sit around and remember the good old days. There's nothing wrong with remembering the good old days. But if you live there, that will suck you down into a pit of depression and despair and a bad place that God doesn't want you to be. You'll wallow in that place if you're not careful. If you want to see how the people of God were feeling in this particular point in their story, just read through the book of Lamentations this week. 
It's Jeremiah writing down there how there was just this this great lamenting over the loss that they were feeling as a people and in their land, their way of life, their home, what they had known, and where God was in the middle of it all. As Dr. Brueggemann points out in his work, such wholesale grief, it might have led them all to despair, but it didn't. It didn't. Instead, the prophets kept speaking. They kept speaking the word of the Lord, especially Jeremiah. And Jeremiah actually seized on the crisis of the destruction and the disaster and the displacement and converted all that was going on for political despair into a new arena of hope. Who could use some hope this morning? Anybody besides me? Yeah, absolutely. God starts talking through Jeremiah. And Jeremiah speaks this word from the Lord of divine possibility. It certainly wasn't grounded in what they could see all around them. The circumstances still looked bad. But his word of hope from the Lord was rooted only in the conviction That as I'll show you in just a second, the God who plucks up and who tears down is also the same God who's going to plant and build. That's what God was saying through Jeremiah. Look back one chapter, chapter 31. Look at verse 28, what it says. And it shall come to pass... That is, I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring harm. So I will watch over them to what? To build and to plant, declares the Lord. That's a message of hope. It's a message of reality, but it's a message of hope. You see, chapters 30, 31, 32, 33 here in Jeremiah, they offer this rich and this sustained affirmation of new possibilities. New possibilities that envision a a new day for Jerusalem. A rebuilding of the city. A reconstruction for Israel and for the people of God. What does that mean? It means this right here. Exile does not last forever. Would you just say that out loud? Because it's so important for us to know. Exile does not last forever. It doesn't for the people of God in history and it doesn't for the people of God today. Exile does not last forever. Forever. That's a message of hope, yes? Yes. There comes a day, friends, when God is going to do a new thing. When God is going to make all things new. When we keep doing the possible and allow God to do what seems what? Say it with me. Impossible. Yeah, that's a recipe for goodness. In the middle of this extended prophetic utterance of hope in chapters 30 through 33 of Jeremiah, 
the poetry of these chapters, it gets interrupted by this remarkable narrative of Jeremiah in chapter 32, verses 1 through 15. Now, we've read the first five verses already. If we were to keep reading, we would see Jeremiah receives a promised word of God. It actually gets dated back to 587 B.C., the 10th year of King Zedekiah, the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. This directive from God is given to the prophet Jeremiah just at the peak of the destruction in Jerusalem. So the bombs are dropping. And Jeremiah is mandated by God in the midst of all of this social chaos. And what God mandates him to do seems crazy. God wants him to buy the family farm in his ancestral village of Anatoth. Look what it says here in 32 verses 6 through 8. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle will come to you. And here's what your uncle's going to say. Buy my field that is at Anatoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. And then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord. And he said to me, buy my field that is in Anatoth. In the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. And then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So, so let's talk about this, this village here. This village was in, in the tribal territory of Benjamin. It's just to the north of Jerusalem. That is, it's if you were to go there in the time that it's happening here in the story, it was right in the line of destruction. It would be like sitting on Kiev's doorstep in Ukraine and going, yeah, buy that land right there now. You'd probably get a pretty good price for it today. That's, that's what its equivalency is. I want you to buy that land right there. The army's coming. Go ahead and buy it. As Dr. Brueggemann points out, it's important for us to grasp that the counterintuitive mandate that God gives to Jeremiah, nobody would buy that land in that point in time. They'd be heading for the hills. Now think about it. Is that something that Jeremiah could do? Is that possible for him to buy it? Yeah. Sure he could. Is it probably not what he wanted to do? Probably not. That's probably not where he wanted to invest his money. I mean, look again in verse 7. Buy my field that is at Anatoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is your. So Jeremiah is commanded to purchase his family farm just at the moment when the military threat must have made that land worth next to nothing. Couldn't do anything there without getting killed. And Jeremiah is commanded to act in what must have been perceived as an uncommonly foolish way. It's possible, but it sure seems stupid. 
And yet Jeremiah is assured that this is the proper and the required move. Because in doing so, this act of redemption is Jeremiah acting as a responsible member of his family in order to keep the inheritance within his family. Now to me, there's an amazing parallel in what's happening here in the story with Jeremiah and the land and what we as the people of Arapahoe Road Baptist Church believe the Lord has been leading us to do with this church, with this campus, with these facilities, with this land. Now, in Jeremiah's case, it's what? Buy it. In our case, it's what? Sell it. Sell it. Sell it. In both cases, I believe God is up to something. In both cases, God is going to preserve the inheritance of his people. I.e., God's going to do the impossible. He's going to do the impossible. You do the possible and let God do the impossible, Jeremiah, Arapaho Road. You do the possible and let God do the impossible. Now, in verses 9 through 13, there's an account of the precise and the careful way in which the land was purchased and secured through proper legal procedures in that day. But don't miss what God says through Jeremiah the prophet in verses 14 and 15 that just seems impossible except for God. And Jeremiah is hoping people will have faith enough to step out. Look at verses 14 and 15. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware vessel that they may last for a long time. Don't miss verse 15. Circle it. Underline it. Highlight it. We're going to come back to it. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Here's the promise, the impossible promise. Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. In the middle of war, God makes that promise. God makes an impossible promise. If Jeremiah will just do the possible. God is going to do something that seems impossible in a day when things look bleak, in chaos, in despair, uncertain, and historically have been bad. Think about it. We're in Jeremiah chapter what here? 32. My gut tells me somebody has read Jeremiah 29, at least a few verses in it. If you haven't, see if this reminds you of anything. Because just a couple of chapters earlier, God says this, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans to prosper you and not to harm you. 
They're plans to give you hope and a future. I.e., I'm going to do the impossible. You just take care of the possible and follow me by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please me. You see, the, the assurance from God just contradicts the current facts that are on the ground. Land that is presumably worthless will in time become very valuable. And it is none other than the God who has dispatched the army of Babylon who offers this astonishing assurance for a time to come. And in response to this remarkable mandate and this assurance from God, we get to Jeremiah's prayer. Check out this amazing prayer. Beginning in verse 16, concluding in verse 25. After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord saying, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty in deed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Good old days. Good old days. And to this day, in Israel and among all mankind, and have made a name for yourself as at this day. You brought your people, good old days. You brought your people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror. And you gave them this land, which you swore to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they entered and they took possession of it. But they didn't obey your voice or walk in the law. They did nothing of all you commanded them to do. And therefore, you've made all this disaster come upon them. Behold, the siege mounds have come up to the city to take it. And because of sword and famine and pestilence, the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. What you spoke has come to pass, and behold, you see it. God sees what's happening in our world right now, friends. He sees it. He's also looking to see who's following him in faith. Verse 25. Yet you, O Lord God, have said to me, Buy the field for money and get witnesses. 
though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. Wow. Dr. Brueggemann says that this prayer is this utterance of dazzled praise that celebrates the capacity of God to invert the historical process as anticipated in verse 15. Don't don't miss this. Look back at verse 15. The impossible promise of where God is headed. Jeremiah 32, 15. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. I.e., this may look like an impossible situation. And what I'm asking you to do, Jeremiah, may seem crazy. But I have a plan. I've got a purpose. I've got a path to get you there. And you know what? It's going to prosper you and the people. It's not going to harm you and the people. It's going to include a hope and a future. Jeremiah, you just tell the people to trust me. And to walk with me. Because I'm going to do a new thing. In a brand new way. In other words, what God is saying. Jeremiah, you tell them to do the possible. And I'll do the impossible. And Jeremiah starts praying. And he starts praising God as he's praying. And he, he proclaims truth back to God. And he reminds himself that, 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 that God, who, who is, who's going to do this new thing, is the same God who decided one, one time, I'm going to just create the heavens and the earth. The reason we're here is because God decided to do it. It was in his good pleasure to do it. And he just had an outstretched arm and a, a word of strength and power and spoke the world into existence, created the heavens and the earth. Did, did you see what he's praying in verse 17? This is a great way to pray this week. If you don't know how to pray, just pray verse 17 over and over again. Ah, Lord, God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. And your outstretched arm. Underline that phrase right there. You'll see it over and over and over again in the scriptures. That language that Jeremiah uses in his prayer. It's reminiscent of what God did in the good old days. Did back in the Exodus a huge part in the story that all Jews remembered and talked about. And they particularly anchored their lives into that story when they were living in a chapter that was less than desirable. That felt tough and impossible. It's what their ancestor Moses talked about years earlier when he was telling the people of God about the land. Not that they were selling, nor that they were buying. God just was going to give it to them. 
He was going to give it to him as an inheritance. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. But back in Deuteronomy 26, about verse 8 and 9, look what it says. Moses is saying this, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, hit the pause button there for a second, thousands of years ago, now, years later, Jeremiah is echoing these same words from Moses in his prayer A little later on in verses 22 to 24, now bring it to today, or actually 30 years ago. If you've been around Arapahoe Road for several decades, you may know this story. If you don't, let me tell you how we got to this place that we're worshiping in today. How we've occupied this place and built this place and worshipped on this land. Do you know we didn't buy this land? God gave us this land. We took possession of this land, have lived in this land, and worshipped on this land, and done ministry to the community and around the world from this land. The leadership of this church, way before I got here, the leadership of this church back in the late 80s, went to the president of Centennial Homes that was building the neighborhoods all around us, the company that owned the lands. They went to the president of Centennial Homes. His name is Mr. Fred Roach. They asked Mr. Roach, Mr. Roach, would you sell us a part of this land here at 2256 Arapahoe Road that you're developing all around here? as a housing development. Would you sell us this so we can build a church? You know what Mr. Roach said? Nope. I won't sell it to you, but I'll give it to you because a community's better when there's a church in the middle of the land. Only God could do that. That is an impossible story. But the leadership of the church did the possible. You go ask. You go ask, Mr. Roach, would you sell the land? Nope. God did the impossible. I'll give it to you. You know why? It's because God still knows the plans that he has for his people. He's in the business of buying and selling and giving land. You know why? Because it's all his land anyway. Now, don't miss the language that Moses goes on to use in verse 8 that echoes back to Jeremiah 32, 17. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt. How? With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great deeds of terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and he gave us this land. A land flowing with milk and honey. You know what that's just echoing? You do the possible. Let me do the impossible. You do the possible. Let me do the impossible. See, that's the conclusion 
that Jeremiah has at the end of verse 17. Nothing is too hard for you. Would you make that declaration with me? Nothing is too hard for you. Translation, nothing is impossible for God. Dr. Brueggemann notes that in this prayer, that the emergence of creation, heaven and earth, signifies something. It signifies that God has the power and the competence to do whatever he wants to do. Don't forget that in 2022. He's got the power and the competence to do whatever he wants to do. He does not care what leaders of the world are devising. He cares what he thinks because he's God. Now let me walk that back. Of course he cares. Of course he wants all people to be saved. Of course he wants people to turn and face their, the, the, the cross and repent of theirs. Of course he wants that. But at the end of the day, God will do what God desires to do. That term, too hard. Say it with me. Too hard. Say it out loud. Too hard. That term, too hard. Impossible. It's reminiscent of an early term that's used early in the Bible. Back in Genesis 18, 14, God asks a woman named Sarah and a man named Abraham a rhetorical question about being able to allow them to become parents in their old, I mean old age, to fulfill a promise God had made decades earlier to them that the timing hadn't been right yet. Look what it says in Genesis 18, 14. Is anything what? Say it with me. Too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. You know what happened about a year later? Surprise. A bouncing baby boy. You know why? Because God enjoys defying all normal expectations and doing things that seem too hard. He gets a kick out of that. You know why? Because when they seem too hard, impossible for us, and he just decides to do it, he gets great glory. So whether God is deciding to create the heavens and the earth, or deciding to create a new life in an old womb, or a Messiah in the womb of a virgin, or a new people after a season of exile and destruction by foreign armies, or a new church from the proceeds of a sale yet to come. Could we ask the question from Jeremiah's prayer? Is anything too hard for God? Our answer is what? No. No. 
No. Friends, Jeremiah's prayer is a prayer for us as well. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Feel free to distribute this recording, but please do not sell or alter it in any way. For more information about Arapahoe Road Baptist Church, please visit our website at arapahoeroad.org. Arapahoe Road Baptist Church is located at 2256 Arapahoe Road in Garland, Texas, with Sunday morning worship service at 1045 a.m. We hope you'll join us this week.